Hello everyone and welcome to episode 248 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always, I'm your host Mark. Now joining me on today's episode is the film director Andy Mitten. You may know his work within horror for films such as Yellow Brick Road, The Witch in the Window and his most recent film and that's the film we'll be focusing mostly on today's interview, The Harpinger. This for me is one of the best horror films that I've seen in the last few years. There's certain films that come through for me every year and there's certain films in the last few years like It Follows, Possessor and now The Harpinger that really stick with me where I really open my eyes up to brand new horror and just see how things can change. And honestly this film is something that I really want to push because I really believe it's a great movie. The direction is absolutely fantastic and I know that Andy has a massive future ahead of him. There's some films that really need to get people's attention and I'm loving seeing the response from Frightfest from The Harpinger and I'm loving seeing people on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram all buzzing around this film because as we're sitting here right now the film is available to rent on digital and I urge you all to go and check it out and once you've listened to the episode please go and check out the movie and then let me know what you think because it's absolutely fantastic and I am certain that you'll absolutely adore it just like me. Now, what I always like to do on Mark and Me is touch base and talk about my previous episode. And on episode 247, I was joined by the actor Daniel Roebuck, someone that has made an amazing career in TV and film. And it was so good to focus on talking about working with Rob Zombie and his amazing performance in The Munsters. The episode was so much fun and I've had so many people asking for him to come back on. And that will happen when the time's right. I can't wait to welcome him back on and me and Daniel, I'm sure, will make that happen in the very near future. But today, it's all about horror and it's all about the amazing director, Andy Mitten. So I think the best thing to do right now is to get to that interview. So here's me and Andy talking all things The Harpinger. So Andy, thanks for joining me today on the Mark and Me podcast. Thank you for having me. It's good to be here. Andy, what I like to do for anyone that might be tuning in today for the first time who might discover your work from the podcast is take it right back to the very start. Talk sure. to me about when you were a child, what was the first kind of films that remember maybe stuck out to you or you really took an interest as a kid that made you fall in love with cinema? Well, I was a child of the 80s. And so the thing about the 80s is there was horror in even the kids content back then uh, to find. And I always gravitated towards that stuff at the youngest stage, whether it was like the Disney adaptation of Legend of Sleepy Hollow. I remember seeing that super young and, uh, or, uh, you know, the horror you would find in something like, um, I don't know if there's anything scarier than the end of who framed Roger Rabbit and what happens to Christopher Lloyd's eyes after those eyes, the, the bulging, eyes, right? Yeah. I, I can't match that. Uh, so they were things that were supposed to be for us, whether the gremlins and or ghostbusters and the librarian ghost or things that um, I always was a magnet for that stuff. And I became the kid who was begging my mom to buy me the Stephen King book at the store when I was really inappropriate ages. And, um, and, you know, working my way up through PG 13, you know, horror, I guess that the poltergeist movies were really important to me. Critters was the first movie I saw, uh, the first horror movie I saw in theaters. Um, and I, I just always ate it up. It always felt like a safe place to me. It always felt like 
Uh, my mom was always super confused. She was like, what is wrong? Why, why do you want all the negative imagery? And, and I never took it as negative imagery. I think I always intuitively understood if it's fiction, it's sort of, there's like love and collaboration in it. There's, you know, it's kind of the opposite, which is how I feel now. Weirdly, when I was talking to you then, I thought he must be around the same age as me. And when you were talking mm. about certain films and I thought he's going to say poltergeist, he's got to say poltergeist. That was one of those <laughs> first videos that I remember getting from Blockbuster Video. And it was that one that I was like, mom, please let me watch it. Like, please, I just want to watch it. And I was way too young. And it fucked me up, but I absolutely loved it. And even now when I watch it, it still scares me. And, you know, the girl's voice and everything, it still yeah. stays with me. But you seem very much on the same page as me. And I think we probably had the same childhood. Definitely Ghostbusters. That scared me. That genuinely frightened me. Those dogs with the red eyes. It's they, scary. They scared that me. Building, just the building, the miniature they used. The, it, I mean, yeah, the vibe of that movie is super scary. So with your parents, obviously, then allowing you to watch these, or maybe you're watching them without them knowing, um, did this make you just want to focus on horror? Were you then watching stuff like Indiana Jones looking for the horror elements and Goonies looking for those scary moments of One-Eyed Willie's boat and all the stuff on the floor? Was it, was it those sort of films that stuck with you? As a kid, yeah. I mean, I was interested in a lot of stuff, but as a kid, that's what was important to me. And then what happened is I fell into theater um, in high school and I became really interested in uh, playwriting, um interested in in all sorts of drama i went to, to to college for theater um i was always a horror fan through all of this time um but i you know obviously there's there's not a lot of horror theater i've tried it i've done a little bit of horror theater it can be good but um it's very limited I, isn't it it's limited although i might say that one of the scariest things i've ever done i did a play in a black box theater that took place in a power failure. It's lit only by the flashes from a Polaroid camera oh, and wow. the sort of after image. And so there's, uh, since you have more senses to work with, um, there's things you can do that are fun. And I've always been trying, but theater took over for a while. I ran a theater company, a nonprofit in LA um, with some friends from school for a while, but everything was always about taking all this stuff and eventually bringing it back into the horror space. And hopefully that would help me be distinct once I got there. So it was a long journey in a big circle that, that led back to horror, which is where the source was. And I suppose, was it always just horror for you? Was that the kind of vision because you were such a fan, because it shaped your kind of love and taste for cinema? Was it a case of, I think, was it 2006 you did missing persons as a, as a short film? uh yeah was that the case that you were always going to go down that avenue because then four years later obviously you had yellow brick road so was it a case of you were always only going to do horror and if that didn't pay off or didn't work you'd kind of throw in the towel and do something else no i i mean the plays i was writing especially around 2006 when we did missing persons is is a is a drama yeah, uh, has no horror elements. So the, around that time, the plays I was writing were mostly comedy dramas, and there was always a touch of horror there. Um, but at that time, I would have been happy to go, I think, a lot of different directions as long as I was getting stories out in the world. Um, and then when I came to get to know the horror community through the process of Yellow Brick Road, I quickly realized there's nothing I can't explore. I mean, I, I'd be very happy making horror movies my whole life and, and feel like 
I, that would never limit me because I think, you know, there, there's nothing this space doesn't allow you to do. So, but I've, it's been circuitous. I've, I've, I've spent time, uh, as a, you know, like my favorite film, like my favorite film of all time is probably the exorcist. So there's that, but my other favorite directors, uh, Sidney Lumet, you know, PT Anderson, Amazing. the Coen brothers, those are, those are my truest influences in terms of the craft. Um, and I just try and bring what I learned there into, into this space. So what point was it that the transition went from obviously doing a lot of theater work, doing some writing, knowing where you wanted to go to then knowing that directing was the, the, the kind of road you really wanted to pursue. And did you have your family's backing? Because sometimes if you turn around to your parents and say, I'm going to be a film director, they're like, well, that's a nice hobby, son, but maybe get a real job and then fall back on that, you know, or were they like, yeah, you're creative. We know you've got this love. We know you've got this passion. Do you know what, son? Go for it. That was them. Oh, it's sort of to a fault. I probably yep. could have used a few more warnings. <laughs> By the way, son, you're never going to be able to eat. You're yeah. never going to sleep and you're not ever going to get much money, but you'll have a right. good time. Right. I had that elsewhere in my life. I remember my high school drama teacher sat me down before I graduated and he was like, you realize there's a 99% chance, you know, it's not going to work out. And if you're cool with that, that means you're supposed to go out there and do it. And I, you know, I, I had people who were telling me things like that, but my parents were completely, completely supportive the whole time. And um, uh, yeah, I, they knew, they knew what kind of animal I was by the time I, I graduated. It, it, it was that, that was going to be it. No, no matter what. Um, and I was going to find some outlet to do it. So what was the point after you graduated that you knew it become a reality? Because everybody kind of wants to set up their stall, know what they want to sell. But sometimes it takes a while to really believe or something just clicks or something changes in your life or circumstances fall into place that then, you know, this is the one road that you're going to take. Well, it was when Yellow Brick Road happened. So I was 28. People often refer to that time in your life. Uh, people they refer to it as like the Saturn returns period. If you're like in in sort of uh, astrological terms, but like I just think it's the point at which you freak out, where you're like you have to kind of redraw yourself in your head a lot yeah. of times at that age and get real about what hasn't been working. Um, and that was the moment I remember I was living in LA and sort of hiking the canyons and. Um, the the creation of Yellow Brick Road and 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 thinking of that story and spending a couple of years scrounging the money to make it it was more it was as much about building uh, a life change for everyone involved as it was about building a movie because I think at that age you realize everything when I was young those landmarks those gates were like set like I knew when I was going to graduate uh, you know, high school and then graduate, uh, college or whatever the case may be. Um, and then you look ahead and there's no gates built in. You're like, I have to build those doorways. I have to like, you know, so I really took it on myself. Um, and Jesse as well, who I made that movie with Jesse Holland. Um, we, uh, we tried to create an adventure. We didn't do it the easiest way. We, 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 we did it, uh, you know, we went to a really difficult location and did a really difficult thing that um, we were as happy to survive as we were to, to escape with a film in the can. Um, and we were all so changed by it. I mean, I'm married to an actor I met on that movie and have kids with her. So like um, it, it worked in that respect. Uh, it created a, um, a turning point. 
And obviously at the moment we're here discussing The Harbinger. Now, I've been lucky enough to see an advanced screener of this film, but it got so much buzz here in the UK from film festival talk and just people in the horror community who I think are the most loving and kind and there doesn't seem much rivalry in this community. Everyone's always rooting for everybody. It doesn't matter if you're a huge successful director or an up-and-comer. How does it feel seeing the response already to this film being so high, so great? The IMDb reviews are fantastic. Rotten Tomatoes from the people that matter are saying how great it is. It must feel all that hard work and effort paid off. It does feel good. It's been rewarding. I have a little bit of a disease when it comes to appreciating the finish lines. Um, I wish I didn't have this disease, but I'm very... uh, the rear view mirror is tough for me. And that's the thing, by the time you're releasing a movie for you, as it's fresh for everyone else, it's like the thing that you just did. Cause you know, of course you're writing something else or trying to get something else together. And for this, I was terrified um, of COVID backlash of like, you know, like paying for some of the choices we made. And, and of course that's going to be out there. Not everyone wants to look at a movie that, that, that looks at some of that stuff, but um, for the critical response to be what it's been, for the response and audiences across festivals and as they see it um, that people are finding worth like that finding it worthwhile and finding their own catharsis in it whatever experience they're they're bringing to it um it seems to be a positive charge and um i'm super super grateful in this community is the thing that's kept me going like you say like there's you know there is no better community in film there's no warmer group of people um, or more misunderstood community in the group of film you know like it's um it's the best and i have to say particularly in the uk for me uh i think that started with witch in the window there was a particular spark out there that um uh that i feel a a a connection a real connection with the audiences out there and it's been great to go there in person and and actually sit there in the theaters and and share it with them and with the pandemic obviously being so raw still it feels like the world's back to normal now maybe that's me being a bit i don't know maybe i hope i'm not being oblivious but i feel like i can go to gigs again i can go and watch a film in the cinema and it doesn't feel Mm -hmm. too restricted some people when i've read reviews are like oh it's too close it's too soon to be having a film but also i respect you for that because it is raw it is real and it has affected our lives and we can't really ignore that it happens so to have that incorporated, and I'm trying to not spoil the film or try and say too much because yeah. I really hate spoilers and I want people to go away from this podcast and check the film out. But I think you got it right because it wasn't too heavy handed, but you didn't kind of turn a blind eye to what's happened to all of our lives in the last two years. That was the hope. Um, and that's another benefit of horror that I think um, if you're not. I, I think you can't be message first. You can't you can't be just out there to say something. I think you have to have a story that's worthwhile. And I'd like to think the story of this movie could exist, you know, in another time. It just happens to be fueled and elevated by this well of shared dread that we have. And um, that's a well that we can't ignore uh, because when we go through something collectively that's dramatic, we want to put it away as fast as we can. And we've all got a little compartment inside of us that we've stuffed some things in and we're pushing forward. But um, I don't think we've quite processed. I think we'll be processing it for a long time to come. And that was my leap of faith. Like this isn't going to be 
dated, I don't think. I think on forward in time, this is going to be um, a very fertile setting to choose as much as any other wartime period is. I mean, usually those settings are regional uh, and, and this is a global thing that we're, we're all tackling together. So whether I've gone to the UK or Colorado or Finland, uh, you know, like everyone is, um, everyone has a shared experience with it. Um, so that's been really cool to see. And hopefully that, you know, um, whatever people bring to it or whatever they need from it at the moment, there's, there's a roller coaster in there for people who just need the roller coaster. Um, you know, and there, there's also something, something deeper and there's some catharsis in there, um, as well. The film again, I'm not going to spoil it, but it is set around, I'm trying to be as brief as I can. Let's say dreams and in some cases nightmares. Uh, and that's for me where the film lives. And mm -hmm. I couldn't, not see the influences of stuff like nightmare on elm street um mm -hmm. and that's with huge comp you know that's with a huge compliment to you because that's an absolute incredible film that stands the test of time are those the films that you were studying that you fell in love with again with horror that you knew would incorporate and be in your blood when trying to direct your own films because their influences are so big in your life yeah i do i think um from when you know i grew up from when we both grew up like i'm i you know those box sets of like nightmare on elm street and and friday the 13th and all that stuff are super super important to me um i could almost trust that that was just going to be in me i didn't really even have to think of it that much like if you make a horror movie in dreams you're standing on freddie's shoulders that's just what you're doing um but it doesn't mean he should have the market cornered uh so in terms of other influences that where I think of it, the opposite end of that scale, just in terms of humanity uh, is Jacob's ladder. That's yeah. the movie that I was looking at most in terms of this is a very human movie. You don't, you really are off your footing because the design doesn't change just because you're in a dream. Um, but what we have is a really warm protagonist moving through a cold world. Um, and that's the kind of friction I'm attracted to. So that became a touchstone as well as the nightmare of that documentary on sleep paralysis, which got me pretty good. Um, I think those things were at the, at the forefront for me. What was it that you would take away from this film? May it be pre-production, post-production, the film itself, that's been your biggest learning tool that you will do differently mm -hmm. maybe when you go forward now and make and start your next project? Hmm. I think um, there's a lot of things that pop up when you say that, but what pops up first is actually um, in prep for this movie, we were forced into like, I'm a theater guy, so I like to rehearse. Yeah. Um, but when we couldn't, we couldn't physically rehearse for this. So we ended up over, over zoom, of course, for rehearsals. And then we were in our little boxes and I found this great blessing in that, that I would actually repeat and want to take more advantage of because we were able to talk as a, as a cast and, 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 uh, and, and, and develop our relationships and discuss our different experiences. They were all New York theater actors for the most part. So they were living through the worst times in one of the worst places to be during that time. Um, and we got the thinking part down. We got, the shape of every scene. We talked about the character arcs. Um, it got personal. And oftentimes when you get into rehearsal on a film, you get into staging and blocking too quickly. And that stuff, you know, you're, you're down to the work. 
Um, but what's great is to have that physical stuff be a kind of surprise and spontaneous act on the day. If you all come in understanding it and having a chemistry between you, um, it's a perfect place to be. I found on the day of shooting um, because it, when you're rehearsing theater, there's like a moment where it sparks and there's never an audience there for that moment. It's like the fourth rehearsal when everyone knows their lines and that there's that spark. And then theater actors have to go kind of generating that spark every night. But in a movie, we just have to film the spark. You're just filming the rehearsal, capturing that moment. So you don't need to be all the way ready. You just need to have your brain and your heart in the right place. Um, so I, it was a big lesson in there that I'm going to take forward. I think people that are listening, I have quite a big audience that will be wanting to get into films, uh, if mm -hmm. it's a director or a writer. And I think just what you said then was beautiful. And I think there's some people that will take a lot from that and you kind of use it going forward, which is great. So thank you. Good. What is it? And you may be not allowed to talk much about this, but what is now next for you? Because this is obviously all wrapped up. It's out there. The UK are going to get to start seeing it. I can't wait to see the reviews and people in my friend groups and horror community online, especially Twitter, all talking about this. But for you, it is put to bed, isn't it? It's kind of done. You now to need to, you know, start a new chapter of a new book. And what's that looking like? Are you putting pen to paper at the moment? Are you taking a bit of breathing space, or are you just deep in there? Right, let's do the next. I'm like trying to push a dozen things forward at the same time, <laughs> trying to get, trying to make things get in the way of each other. I have like the opposite problem that I've had in the past. That would be great. Um, look, it, I, I wanted this to be a bridge builder. Um, I've been kind of in the micro budget space for a long time and it's been great, but like uh, for the other things I'm writing in the scripts that I have, which are substantial, I've got, I've got a lot that I want to do. Um, I'm going to need that more support and more structure and more than 14 days to shoot. And, uh, I, th I feel like, um, all signs are pointing to that being good. I'm super jaded, so I don't want to like say anything too specific, but, um, I'll say, you know, I have sort of, uh, I have, I have my take in different subgenres and, I've got sort of a cosmic horror thing. I've got like a high rise horror. I've got a slasher. Um, I'm writing something right now that I'm really excited about. Um, I'm interested in book adaptations. I'm interested in growing into other spaces, maybe directing an episode of TV. Like I'm just trying to make myself open because I feel like I'm about to go into my prime and I really want to show people what's in the toolbox because um, these little movies, you make the ones you can, you know, you, you, you uh you you when you have very little money it's another thing i would say to people coming into film not only is horror a good space to be in but like make the movie that that you can grab that you can reach for that you can stick the landing you know these slow burn movies are achievable you know within the space but um as someone who's been playing in the chamber orchestra for a while like i really want to play rock and roll you can see the electric guitar behind me it's there i know how to play it so I'm hoping someone gives me the chance. The I signs it, are man. good. Your IMDb yeah. page next month will be absolutely rammed with, he's working on this TV series, he's doing a remake of this, he's just bought an adaptation rights to do this. I'll be like, oh my God, he's never going to sleep. That would be the best. That would be a great problem. <laughs> is, there, is there a film that would be a dream for you to remake? I know a lot of my previous guests have been on and some of them have gone on and done stuff like Firestarter and Stephen King adaptations. And mm. stuff. Would there be one that if you had the choice of a golden ticket and you could pick any, is there one that you'd love to do? Well, knowing that maybe some of these things have been in and out of development with uh, higher profile people than me, the, the things I've always taken forward, I am a Stephen King nut. 
Um, the Long Walk is one of my favorite books. I think someone, is it Edgar Wright trying to do that? I don't know. Someone's trying to do The Long Walk right now. I've always dreamed of doing that. The Running Man as well, which wasn't ever properly made um, by that Arnold Schwarzenegger movie in the 80s does not yeah. count. Um, those are things I bring forward. And and then I, I'm just, I'm meeting a lot of um, authors as well. I found that my work tends to strike with the the, liter- the literary side of the the horror community so um paul tremblay is someone i'm really excited about right now who has um m night Shyamalan's new movie is based on uh his book cabin at the end of the world um that I just, looks amazing that trailer got me straight away i was like yeah oh my god take my money it, now exactly it's gonna be great so i i'm i'm interested in fostering those relationships uh, more than i've got like a list of things i want to do but all i know is like I, I wish I, I I don't know why they keep remaking the ones that were done perfectly yeah. the first time. Like love all love to David Gordon Green, who I adore. But God, the last thing on earth, the thing that would scare me the most is to be remaking The Exorcist. It's my yeah. all-time favorite movie. Like, no, I want to do the ones that I felt like weren't done right the first yeah. time, or, or that there's some completely new lens on that that speaks to the now, you know. My, my final question to you today, and I ask this to every guest that's been on the podcast, is you get to choose the outro piece of music to today's episode. So once this is all edited and the world gets to listen to our interview, the final piece of music, it can be from a score, it can be a song, it can be a band you love, but the outro piece of music is very personal because you get to choose it today. But I am putting you on the spot. You mm. instantly probably have 100 songs you want to pick, but what's yes. a song that came to your heart and head when I asked the question, that you think would be perfect to sum up today's episode and be the outro music for today's interview? It is the the opening credit theme, the the main theme, um, Danny Elfman's score for To Die For. Amazing. Wow. And yes. was it because it's just meant so much to you and it's a perfect piece of music or is it just, has it got something that's a bit more personal? It's it's a score. I just think about I think about that piece a lot because it's wild. I don't know if you remember it, but it it moves between orchestral and like grinding hard rock. It'll do like 16 bars of just like metal. And then it just kind of whisks up into these, you know, into what you think of more traditional Danny Elfman sort of chorus stuff. And uh, I it, it's just it's a rule breaking moment. And, and uh, that's what that's what I find myself inspired by those people who like break the rules and make those jagged transitions. And, uh, and for all, I guess for no other reason than what you said, it just popped right up when you said that for whatever reason. I love it. it is. Andy, thanks for coming on the podcast today. Genuinely. I'm a huge fan of your work. I love the Harbinger for me. Cause I put it down as last year. Cause I saw it at the tail end of the year. So for me, it's one of my films of the year. I told all my friends to go and see it and I can't wait now for people to be able to see it in the UK hear what people say. And it's just one of those horrors that I think will stand the test of time that will only get better and better as people revisit it. And uh, I really hope our paths cross again and you come on in a couple of years and we see where your career goes because I'm really excited for you. Thank you. That means the world to me. Um, And I, I hope the same. And it's such a pleasure to talk with you. So thanks for having me on. So there it is. There's my interview with me and the amazing Andy Mitten, a film director that I think has a massive future ahead of him. He's already laid his foundations in the horror world and he's only ever going to get stronger and build upon that. And I really can't wait and I'm so excited to see where his career goes. As you've heard throughout this interview, we've been talking about The Harpinger 
And this film is out right now on digital platforms. So go and spend a couple of pounds, go and check it out and let me know what you think. There's no bigger compliment as a podcaster than recommending a book, a movie or an album. You guys investing that time, seeking it out and then watching it or listening to it, falling in love with it and then sharing your thoughts with me. I absolutely adore going on Facebook or getting an email and seeing someone that has found something via this podcast. Also, these podcasts will always remain free. But what I do ask on each and every episode is that you share the episode on your social media networks. If you're on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, just hit that share or retweet button. You have no idea just how far that can go. It couldn't get seen by anyone on your Facebook list, all those people that follow you on Twitter or your friends on Instagram. And if you're really generous, why not share it on your Instagram story? It then gets seen by a whole new audience. A lot of people don't realise, but Mark and me is a one-man team. It is literally just me. I don't have a producer, I don't have an editor, a scheduler, a marketer team, or this big huge budget. It's literally me and I rely on you guys for sharing these episodes to build a bigger audience. So it really goes a long way. And if you're struggling to find the links, they're all available on markandme.com. I also have a Patreon page. This basically helps fund the podcast and allows me to host the podcast on stuff like Spotify, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Podomatic and all the different sites that you go to for your podcasts. That isn't free, but with your support it means I can do that and spread the word even bigger. I make no money off Mark and me. Every penny that comes in via Patreon goes right back into the podcast, allows me to go and travel the UK, interview people, produce the podcasts and get more and more episodes for you guys at home. I have a lovely group of people on there and I really do need some more support. So if you can stretch to a couple of pounds a month for that, I guarantee now that you'll be getting at least two episodes every week. Not only that, I'm going to be launching a brand new Lost Tape series, which are episodes that will only be for people that support me via Patreon. Also, thanks to my amazing friends at Richer Sounds, I have some incredible prizes each and every month to give away. You'll also get a badge as soon as you sign up. You get some exclusive stickers and I'll try and do anything I can to make you feel even more valued and appreciated because you really are. I'll be back in only a few days time with a brand new episode. So until then, look after yourself, keep warm, watch The Harpinger, and I'll speak to you all very soon. Thank you.